The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? This is Craig Stout. Welcome to the AP Laboratory. Um, the intro that you know you normally hear with Kent and Matt leading us in may or may not make the podcast. If it is, it's at the very end. We'll see how this goes. But my good pals at Chief in Carolina at Kent underscore Squanson are here with me today, and we are getting right into the football. Kent, lead us into our first question here. Hollywood, I'm just so honored to be here. Uh, and do you know who else is honored to be here? Austin Blythe, the new center for the Kansas City Chiefs. We really haven't had a chance to talk about Austin Blythe yet. And today seems like a good day. We're also going to answer some of your questions, by the way. Uh, just Wait, hold on. The, you got to make sure day. that you let Craig introduce Austin Blythe like he did Gerard Reed. Oh, that's true. We need to hold on. Yeah, we need to make sure, Craig. We just we have really quality audio here. Let's just go ahead and just give us thirty seconds on Austin Blythe, just in case uh, the Chiefs want to cut it up and, and maybe use it for for their video introducing their new center. So, What's Craig, why don't up, you just everybody? kick this? Off? Welcome to the A. <laughs> um, no, Craig, Austin Blythe. Austin, what do you think? I, I mean, use your good voice. Use your best voice, Craig. Goodness, this is, uh, I hate you guys so hard right now. Austin Blythe, smaller center. Um, it, it was basically down to him and Austin Ryder as far as free agent centers that were really available. He's a guy that played right guard for the uh, Rams for a couple of seasons, and then they brought him back on a one-year deal, moved him to center, played him all last year at center, and then went, nope, we're good. <laughs> you can you can seek the free market and kind of see what, what kind of money you're getting. He's not getting much from the Chiefs. This is not preventing the Chiefs from doing anything further. But he's, he's a decent player that has experience. An Iowa offensive lineman, you know, they typically tend to stick around in the league for a long time and play at an adequate level. That's kind of what Austin Blythe is. I know Maddie did the big film review, so I'll turn it over to him to hit on the pros and the cons and what this really means for this team. The pros, he's not Austin Ryder. The cons, he's not really any better. But again, the pro is he is not Austin Ryder. 
you're getting a similar level of player. I mean, you're getting a low-end starter at the center position. I think that's why you saw the Rams willing to let him to go test free agency and not match or come up and over this really low Chiefs offer. He's not a guy that's really going to move the needle at all. He's probably relatively scheme specific because he's a very, very small guy listed at six foot three, 295 pounds. That's a huge step down for what Andy Reid usually likes in his centers. Now, Austin Ryder, when he got to Kansas City, was a little bit smaller than he is now, but by the time that he got starting and really, really playing, I mean, he was well into the 300s, 315, 320 almost. So I would expect to see Blythe try to add some weight. But at the end of the day, He's a better run blocker than he is pass protector. Get opposite of Austin Ryder. The Chiefs have been trying to shore up that interior offensive line in terms of the run blocking, so the move makes sense. But he's still not a great run blocker. He's got limitations with his athleticism, with his strength, especially with his reach. And for the life of him, he cannot sustain a block. He makes contact really well. He gets to the second level early and makes great contact he then loses that contact so fast. Your running backs have a very small window to get through there. You need a one cut and go kind of stuff, which I do think kind of fits what Clyde wants to do. He's not a big dancer in the hole, so it does make sense. Same with Daryl Williams. So it works there. Then as a pass protector, smart guy, uses his hands well for leverage, but that size issue does show up. He's better against power than Austin Ryder was, so you hope to maintain a little bit more pocket integrity. But if teams isolate him one-on-one versus athletic rushers, it can get bad in a hurry. So you didn't get better, you just got different at that center position, in my opinion, if he's starting on you know week one. Okay, I got a couple questions for you. Man. Hit me. I'm going to start with this one. Okay, so you're looking at a Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe, we'll call it Kyle Long interior. Do those how does the, how do how do those three pair together? Does that help Austin Blythe in any way, shape, or form? There's my first framing of a question to you. I mean, I think it definitely helps a guy that's a low end starter being placed in between a real an elite level guard and then a guy that has the potential to play really well at the same position. It's like he's in a good spot for that, a lot better than he had in the Rams. Their athletic levels, I mean, Blythe may be the worst athlete of the bunch, but not so much so that it will be a problem. So in th- from that regard, yes, it does work. They're all more finesse players, technical players, than they are pure power guys. So it And the two of the three are very healthy and very durable, which is something that I think the Chiefs are really caring about right now in the free agency period. No, for sure. For sure. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, they've got, I mean, I think who, who part of the reason they grabbed Tooney was... I mean... <laughs> no! Absolutely not! It's overcorrection, but I get it entirely. Okay, so now the big question. Has the offensive line improved significantly? All right, so this is the thing that's been going around. You know, Twitter as of late is the Chiefs have finally fixed their offensive line because they have signed another guy. Guys... I think Chiefs fans are getting stuck on the Super Bowl where the offensive line consisted of four reserve players in Austin Ryder and are looking to improve from there. That is not your goal for improvement. You are not trying to improve on four backups plus Austin Ryder. You are trying to improve on the Super Bowl winning offensive line that allowed 13 pressures, a 24% pressure rate that gave up eight sacks and eight QB hits. This offensive line, people I think have kind of forgotten in 2019, wasn't good despite having Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. 
The playoff games, they allowed double-digit pressures in every single game. The only team that had a lower pressure rate versus the Chiefs in the 2019 playoffs was the 49ers, who completely disrupted the game to the point to where the Chiefs offense was having to ask itself if they had time to run passing concepts they wanted to. That's how bad the offensive line was two years ago. So yeah, they when they had to start four backups in the following Super Bowl, it didn't go well. And yes, you've improved on that, but you're trying to improve on the San Francisco 49ers offensive line, which the Chiefs absolutely have not done. They got better at one position since then. They've gotten the same at the other. That's it. This offensive line has taken a stark step back since 2019, and it hasn't been fixed yet. Don't get lost thinking just about the Super Bowl versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The offensive line needed work before then. Don't use that as your barometer. I will I will jump in here to put on my devil's advocate hat. Here it is, because I agree with the large majority of that right there. The comment is going to be, well, the Chiefs made the Super Bowl with that offensive line anyway, Matt. Like, I know that Eric Fisher wasn't a part of it. Like, they were a left tackle away from all of that. That offensive line is still going to get destroyed in the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. Eric Fisher does not make them win that game. But that's going to be the the clapback that's going to happen there. Like, people are going to say, you know, like, well, they, they still made the Super Bowl with that bad offensive line. They could do it again. So here's the counter to that. Look at the teams they played before the Super Bowl in the playoffs. The Cleveland Browns, they were 21st in the NFL in their pressure rate last year. And guess what? They lost their second best pass rusher right before the playoffs started. Guess what else? Their best pass rusher had bruised ribs and was in and out of the game. They then played the Bills, who were 18th, and they don't. I don't think they had any injuries affecting them, but there's a reason the Buffalo Bills are in the market for every pass rusher right now, because their pass rush wasn't good. I think their only guy with more than like five sacks last year, five sacks, was Jerry Hughes, one player. Their pass rush wasn't good either. They played against two poor pass rushing teams before they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Go back and watch the Chiefs play. We were all complaining about it all season long. This offensive line was not good enough. It just happened to be like, hey, Patrick, go out there, be great, and win the game, which obviously he can. That's just not a an answer to longevity in the NFL. And the reality of the situation with the offensive line for the Chiefs is neither tackle position can be better than what they had. Flat out. It cannot, in 2019. Not to get better than, in 2019. In yes. They're not going to get better than Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, the versions of those guys. There's, just, there's not a player out there. Hopefully... Hopefully Tevin Jenkins is there at 31 and, and maybe he can convert over and stick over at left tackle. So he's going to switch either side, going to switch sides and try to hold up as a left tackle and learn a new position or Russell Okung, you're hoping sticks around, you know, survives you know, more than the 13 games he's played in the last two years. They're not, there's not a path to get better at the tackle position. So that offensive line that wasn't overly great, the last, you know, in the 19 Super Bowl, is losing their two best players. They are, they are not, and there's not a way or a path to improving either of those. So yes, they might have improved the interior, but enough to offset losing both tackles and being worse at both tackle positions. Like, it's, I, there's not a path to, I, I, there's not a path to improvement. Now there's a path to future improvement. And there's and there's a path to capable play enough to win a Super Bowl. So don't Correct. make don't make me miss don't miss the point. The offensive line can be good enough to allow Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid to be better than the opposition. 
-hmm. Yes, and that's all you technically need. But this is the NFL where every single game matters once you hit a certain point. You can't expect Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes to be perfect all the time. You have to have fail-safes. And right now, the offensive line isn't good enough to be a fail-safe. It is starkly worse than the 2019 team that was able to win a Super Bowl. But it, I think everybody remembers the Chiefs were a terrible Jimmy G throw away from being back down in that Super Bowl again, having to come back down and score, which they would have. Which they, they would were have. Very, they were very close to losing that game in a large part because of the offensive line's ineptness to block players in front of them. And now, as much as we liked Mike Rimmers last year, he's your second best offensive lineman and I have not seen Andy Reid give as much help to an offensive tackle in his six years with the Chiefs than he did Mike Rimmers last year. I have not seen a tight end as good as Travis Kelsey block as much as he did last year to help Mike Rimmers because he needs it. Don't think this offensive line is good enough now just because they signed some bottom of the league level starters at a couple positions. They need to get better. Doesn't mean they can't win. They still just need to get better. The importance of margin. I I think I've said it a couple times. This team will probably be one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I think in some places they are the favorite to win the Super Bowl right now. But you create more randomness the worse your roster is. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the world, and no one's, not very many people want to bet against Patrick Mahomes, and I get it. And this team is trying to build enough around him. I get it. But you need to create margin of error in the three biggest games leading in, in the three biggest games of your season. You have three a three game sample size. So if your team has deficiencies, which we the reason that we talk about this team the way we do is because we want to identify or discuss the deficiencies and show you where we think this team could lose a Super Bowl. Well, I don't think there's a ton of margin for this team to win a Super Bowl. So you're you're presenting more random randomness to that three-game sample size. I want this team to create margin and improve across the board or in any place that they feasibly can. And they're not. They, I just don't see a path to improving that 2019 offensive line. Just that bar to clear does not seem feasible right now, Maddie. Yeah, and I mean that's where I'm at with this point as well. It's this offensive line, they. The way it's been structured the last couple seasons, they did not give themselves a clear path to improvement. I don't think it's for a lack of trying. They just have not given themselves a very clear path to improvement. I do think the Eric Fisher injury really did throw a wrench in their plans. I think they fully expected him to play out his contract through this season, so they had a little bit more wiggle room. But that being said, you have to find a way to adapt. You have to figure this out. If you could place a healthy Eric Fisher on this offensive line right now, which you can't, but if you could, yeah, things look a lot better. You are looking at an offensive line that's comparable to that 2019 version of the San Francisco 49ers. Maybe it can be better because you've shored up the weakest link, you invested in right tackle, but that's just not where we are anymore. It's just not where you are. You lost Eric Fisher, you have to do something different, and the Chiefs are still trying to figure that out right now. I just want to simply come out and state the offensive line's better than it was versus Tampa Bay. It's not better than where it was as of the start of the AFC Championship game or the last time they won a Super Bowl. You just quit using the Super Bowl as your barometer for better because that offensive line was all backups. 
in in before Russell Okung starts week one and then Eric Fisher steps in in like week eight because Russell Okung is dead. So, <laughs> Wow, that got dark real quick. We're going to have to take a break and be back after we all settle in. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, a lot of doom and gloom on the first half of the show. Uh, we're going to take some of your questions now after we just went in depth on the offensive line and how we see the reality of it. Let's just go ahead and take some questions now. We didn't get to a ton on Monday, so that's why we're kind of decided to just do a few more. And uh, APNerdSquad at gmail.com question. Kyle from L.A. Hey, fellas. Wanted to say I was never interested in the draft before your pod, so kudos to you because now I can't wait. Awesome. Thanks, thanks, Cal. Uh, my question is, in your experience, is a prospect that doesn't look explosive on tape but impresses at the combine usually a better or worse pro than the one that looks explosive on the, uh, on the field but underwhelms at the combine? Thanks, Kyle from L.A. I mean, in typical, well, first of all, thanks, Kyle. This is great news. Like, I love hearing more people getting into the draft. It's something that I enjoy almost, if not more, than I enjoy Chiefs football, which is saying something. That said. <laughs> it's true. It's just based on individual players. I mean, it really is. Like, the first thing you have to look for, if a player doesn't look explosive on the field, but tests incredibly well, you have to go back and watch and just see if there's a reason he didn't test, or if he didn't look explosive on the field. Was he put in a poor stance? Is there something that he's doing technically wrong that's robbing him of his potential athleticism? Is he being asked to play a specific way? And maybe you can identify something there. And then if that's the case, if you can identify why he's playing unexplosively on the field and how you can fix that, I would definitely lean towards that guy. But if not, if the guy just simply figured out how to test really well in shorts, give me the guy that looked explosive on the field nine out of ten times. You know, unless it's a pro day and then just throw all of that out like we should with almost all of this year's testing. But yes, I, me, I, I do the cornerback athletic testing thing every year. And one of the things that I make sure to put in every year, my article in the feature in the Casey Draft Guide is, hey, the film always trumps the testing. It's not like you're just guaranteed that this guy that tested really well is just going to translate to the NFL. That's not how it works. You need to look 
and see how he's used. Look and see how that translates to the field. A lot of times, especially at the combine in previous years, obviously we didn't have it this year, but at the combine in previous years, a guy will come out and he'll test through the roof and it might surprise a whole bunch of people. You know, you'll you'll see some of these guys, the bigger names, you know, the Dane Bruglers, you know, out there saying, wow, I did not expect him to test like that. All of a sudden, that's when you go back to the tape. You find out why that didn't show up. A lot of times, I'll write, you know, this corner doesn't have good long speed. And I'll go back to the tape and I'll figure out, okay, why is that? What, what was causing that? Why, why did I have to go back and write that if he runs a blazing 40? Now, obviously, this year, again, everybody's running a blazing 40. So <laughs> I'm just kind of relying on the tape there. But it's an it's a means to finding out the why and correlating with the film versus you know trying to figure out you know one versus the other uh you know i i do man i i think i agree with a lot of what you're saying but also athletic testing is a a key component in some key positions i think athletic testing at the defensive end position is very predictive um there's a lot of good data that kind of supports that there are key explosive metrics that are really valuable to a pass rusher that like Jason Owa is unbelievably explosive and powerful. And the, the, I think the tape's actually pretty good without the sack production still too. But I guess what I'm just trying to say is there's a, there's some positions that that athletic testing does hold more weight, frankly. And even for what we do and how we do, our, the, the athletic testing means more in our projections and our grading scale for different positions. So it's highly weighted for our edge position, not as highly weighted for our interior offensive line. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, – th- th- some of the athletic testing, like, it's really hard to ignore excellent athletic testing. you got to go back to the film and figure out some other things maybe, but it's pretty important, I tell you. Uh, Oga, I'm I'm sorry if I if I botched this. Ogbavir Segan. If Terrace Marshall or Diami Brown were available at third at pick 31, would you like that for the Chiefs as their true X receiver over a tackle? Not those two guys in particular. I do like Diami. If I'm gonna have to pick one of those guys, it's gonna be Diami Brown 10 out of 10 times as a player. Uh, I'm pretty out on Terrace Marshall. Um, but I don't think either of those players are guys that I'm going to want to prioritize over a potential tackle that's available and even some like I'm pretty sure I'd rather have I'm pretty sure I'd ever ha- rather have like a Walker litter, little over a Terrace Marshall at 31 like there's a lot of tackles that I would rather have than Terrace Marshall um, I'm just not a big fan of his game his effort his blocking uh, his particular skill set I think it's pretty limited I don't have a lot of optimism for his projection uh so yeah there's just a lot there's i have a lot of i guess i have a lot of deep-seated angst about terrace marshall but i tackle such a critical need for this team short and long term i absolutely see a path to terrace marshall being a great receiver in the nfl but i am completely okay being the guy that misses on terrace marshall being a great receiver in the nfl for a lot of the things that kent said but to get a little bit more just specific to me I don't think he has any detail to his game. I think he lacks all nuance in what he does. Everything he does, it's just based on spacing, being tall and being fast. You see him run an outbreaking route, an in-breaking route. It's just this gradual turn. There's no setup. He's just running through the motion, expecting to be bigger, 
faster, stronger than some defensive backs, and sometimes he is. Sometimes he's not. There's just no nuance to his game. His attention to detail to me terrifies me to make him a possession or X wide receiver. I'd feel a lot more confident if I was a team that just needed a deep threat and I could draft Terrace Marshall and say, hey, go run fast in a straight line downfield and I'm going to throw you a jump ball if the defensive back's near you. I feel confident that he can do that. I don't feel confident that he can run a 10-yard in cut right at the sticks and make a contested catch. Whereas Diami Brown hasn't shown the ability to do exactly that, but his attention to detail when he's running vertical routes or snapping off comeback type routes, very good. He is very good at setting defensive backs up. He's very crisp and clean in and out of his breaks. I could see how he develops into a possession receiver going forward. I can't see it for Terrace Marshall. I still don't know if I love Diami Brown in the first round, but I would understand the process. Uh, Chiefs, Chief, 8120. Quinn Miners, yay or nay? For the Chiefs, of course. Yeah, yeah, I like Quinn Miners. I I think he showed enough at the Senior Bowl to really demonstrate that he can play at a high level. Very flexible guy, showed some decent power, showed some really good movement skill, showed that he deserved to play at the level of the rest of the guys that were there. I think, you know, that's kind of why he was getting the hype that he was. I know that we've really talked of David Moore a lot, but we loved Quinn Miners while he was there. Just everybody else seemed to handle that hype. So we wanted to make sure the other guy was getting some too. Quinn Miners would fit really well in this in this offense. And I think that he would slot right in. I think he would be a good player for Andy Reid. And Chiefs fans would love him. I mean, like, he, he's a character. He's a good dude. Like, he, he'd fit right in with a lot of the things that Chiefs fans would love about him. He'd be a great fit in Kansas City. Oh, he would be a fan favorite immediately. There's no doubt about it. Um, I have a take. I would... I would be I, I I would be happy to take Quinn Miners at sixty three. Uh I yeah, I'm I'm not I'm, sure I'm he's around at the end of the third, so that makes sense. I'm a big I'm I, I believe in him. Now the the weird thing for him and it's really tough to distinguish, you know, what's viable watching his division three tape versus the senior bowl, but if you're basing and operating off the senior bowl, I mean the hype's genuine and real for him. He had an outstanding process there. He captivated a lot of people with his personality, I know. But, I mean, his tape was good. And I have zero qualms, especially after seeing him test the way he did. That guy, he's, I think he's going to go in the, I think he's, I think, I'm not sure he's there at 63. There's there's a take for you. Does, okay. But I'm not sure he's there. Here, here's a question for you. I don't Does he go before Creed Humphrey? I would take him before Creed Humphrey. Do you think the NFL is going to? I think there's a chance, yeah. Although Creed Humphrey did just test through the roof. He just... He gives zero resistance to power. Ryan 11 Alexander, if you eliminate all the tackles with arms too short for Andy, who might that leave as a potential addition in the draft? Well, I will just... I'll, I will tease this. In the KC draft guide on Monday, there is a detailed description of the tackles that have fit Andy Reid's norms. There is a breakdown of the prospects that meet certain thresholds that Andy Reid is typically employed. 
And you can go to gum.co slash kcdraftguide21. Promo code LAB will get it for $8. And you will have a full write-up, a full article about that on Monday. Uh, when the guide releases. Guys, the guide releases on Monday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Maddie, do you want to add something really quick? Oh, no. If we, you have if a we want to not mention any names here... I Give won't tell you about Stone Forsyth, the offensive tackle from Florida, who the Chiefs' offensive line coaches were working out at their pro day for the positional drills. I won't talk about him on the podcast. I'll just write about him on Arrowhead Pride here in a couple days as part of Draft Miss. There you go. K Chiefs 19. What happened to Dylan Moses? I know that the Chiefs don't need a linebacker that early, but it seems like he was getting a ton of hype last year before he returned to school. And this year, I haven't heard anything about well, him. Well, he tore his ACL in August of 2019, and he was still kind of recovering. He's still coming back from that at the beginning of this last year. And he's kind of done some interviews saying that the season wore pretty heavily on him, and he was kind of banged up at the end of the year as well. I will say this, beginning of the year, Dylan Moses looked tentative, did not have range, did not change directions particularly well. He looked like a guy that was still very much recovering from an ACL injury. By the end of the year, you started to see those instances where he looked a little bit better, where he was moving better. The IQ has always been there. Like uh, Nick Saban suffered a massive blow in 2019. That was the guy that was going to be calling their defense. He was going to be the leader on the field. And if he was healthy and playing at the level that he was in 2018, which I have graded some games on him. So I made sure to get some of those in there as a perspective for what he can be. He would be a potential top 10, 15 pick. He was that good. He looked that good. I think that potential's still there. There's just a lot of medical concerns with him, and that's going to make him fall quite a big ways because if you if you were struggling with the ACL injury after a year and you were struggling with some other stuff at the end of the year, people are going to have to do a lot of vetting to make sure that you're not going to just break down immediately in the NFL. Here's the thing. 29 and a half teams are going to grade him based on his 2020 film. The rest are going to grade him on that 2018 film, and that makes it really hard to figure out where he's going to go because it only, I mean, as it's a cliche, but it's true. Only one team has to buy in. So if just one team believes, and he's come out and said publicly that he had a really hard time rehabbing, that he played through a lot of pain this last year, his rehab didn't go great. First of all, you got to check that out and figure out if there's long term damage. But if there isn't, and he's going to be ready to go, if you want to buy in that he just had a longer recovery time than expected and he's going to give you his 2018 film, some team's going to love to take him in the top 50, but you just don't know who that team's going to be. You don't know how the board's going to fall for them, so it's really hard to tell. He's a guy that if he can return, like Craig was saying, to that level of health, you're getting a great player. It's just really hard to know if you're ever going to get that. Larry Cleland, what's your prediction for Mahomes' passing yards and touchdowns this year? Over or under 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns? I'm taking the over. I think Mahomes is going to have to do more. I think this is the worst roster that this team has had so far since 2018. Uh, I think that there's going to be a little bit more pressure on him to have to create outside of structure, which means some more lucrative plays. Uh, you know, I, Mahomes has done a good job of not needing to utilize his superpowers at all times. 
uh, and operating within structure a lot, uh, real a lot, a lot of efficiency. I think he's going to be running around the yard this year a little bit more than we've seen uh, in the last year. So uh, give me the over on all those. I am going with the under because the Chiefs just signed fullback Michael Burton, and they are going to make sure they get their full use out of a fullback. And don't throw that. I'm kidding. I'm going with the over here. I just had to get a fullback joke in because, you know, fullbacks, 2021. And But I'm going to go with the over for much like what Kent said. I think that this roster, especially offensively, is going to be the lowest that Patrick Mahomes has had to deal with. It's been the weakest it has ever been during this time, which means he's going to have to do more. Now, the counterpoint is he's going to be susceptible. Like, this is a time where he is fully going to have to put the team even more on his back. And, you know, that might result in less production. I'm just going to believe that the more you ask of Mahomes, he will come out. He will show up when it matters. It's just that gets difficult when it gets into playing good teams in the playoffs during the regular season. I think he will absolutely light it up when he's asked to, which he will be. Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for over 5,000 yards and over 45 touchdowns because they're playing in 17 games this year. I can't believe none of us mentioned that. (laughs) He played in 15 last year, and he was roughly around these numbers. He's actually probably going to have to play in that final game this year. I mean, we hope he doesn't, but because that means that the Chiefs will have it something locked up but he's probably going to play in all 17 if he's going to play one thing to lock up Mm. but he's probably going for over 5,000 yards because it's a 17 game season that was the first good maddie answer we've ever had on this show and it came (laughs) from craig we're calling him Craig answers <laughs> the best now. Maddie answer, the best Maddie answer came from Craig. There's a reason he's the voice of the Chiefs. Oh, okay, now we're done. We're done with this. <laughs> Joe and Jack, 816. Last year, late rounds seemed to be uh, deep in quality defensive backs. Is that the same this year as well, Craig? No. Um, unless you, <laughs> unless you want a slot wow. corner. I mean, that, that's basically what it is. If you want a slot corner, then yes, a smaller slot corner. That's a problem. They're small this year. That's where the depth in this draft class is. It's in the slot, smaller guys. Now Spagnolo will like a lot of these guys because they can rotate deep to safety. Some of them have even played some safety. So I do think that for the chiefs purposes, if you want to move Legereus need outside, this is a good draft for that kind of depth but if you're looking for a boundary guy your options are going to be limited by the length on the outside there's only a small handful of guys a lot of them haven't tested particularly well they're really stiff or really slow or things that steve spagnolo really doesn't want to add on the outside so with that said no i don't really think the depth overall is that great I mean, I don't even know if the depth was particularly that good last year either. It's just when you get to day three and later rounds at position like wide receiver or defensive back, you're often drafting guys for specific roles. So you're drafting players into such particular spots that they're not going to be put in there unless they can play well. That's why the teams are taking them. So I think that's kind of what you see in terms of looking like super deep drafts most years, but especially at positions like that. That said... I'm with Craig. This year, it's there's a lot of slot corners 
that you can grab safety corner combos in day three if you need a guy to come in and give you functional reps. But I just don't know if that classifies as making it a deep draft because I feel like that's the case most years. All right, add Joe Boo. Question of the year. Who is this year's Jalen Ferguson? I'm, I don't know if we're just totally tying this together to the 8083 code or if it's just the guy that we irrationally don't like as much as everyone else does. I kind of want to go with the last one. Who's the guy that you don't like nearly as much as everybody else and it kind of annoys you how much love oh, you get? Really? Because I actually had a good one for the three code. <laughs> okay, we'll do that uh, one. That's my fine. guy, Lorenzo Burns, tested at a pro day with a seven- Arizona Arizona cornerback Lorenzo Burns, a guy that I really liked Lame. his tape. 7.553 cone. I keep track of all of these things, and it happened at a pro day. I keep track of all this stuff. That is the slowest three-cone time that I have kept track of at a combine or a drafted player since 2010, replacing Charvarius Ward. Maddie, where are you going with this? Well, I'm just going to stick to the edge position. I'm going to go your route of a guy who I think was a quality college player whose athletic testing may just limit him from success in the NFL. Ronnie Perkins, edge out of Oklahoma. We got to pour one out for a guy that we were all pretty big fans of. He's a guy that plays power and length, and he doesn't have you know much mass or much length. So, or the athleticism to back it up. He tested kind of poorly across the board. I think that was really bad for him because he is not the biggest guy. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be super explosive or super bendy, but just coming out just not good across the board, I think really dampens the kind of excitement one might have had for Ronnie Perkins. I'm going to go with the guy that upsets me the way that Jalen Ferguson upset me. <laughs> is it, is it That's Terrace I, Marshall? I thought we handled that earlier on in this pod episode. I mean, did you just call him Terrace Marshall? Terrace Marshall. I just, Craig, it, it, it's every week. There's always one. It's really good you said Jaron Reed's name right because then you wouldn't have been on the Chiefs video. Okay, the guy that I have visceral reactions to and the conversation around him is Mac Jones. I just, I cannot understand anyone wanting to spend a top three pick potentially on him. All this talk about Mac Jones. And yes, his athletic profile was a little bit better than everyone thought. But it doesn't translate on the field. He doesn't look like a average NFL quarterback athlete. He still looks incapable of adjusting his feet in any way, shape, or form to deliver a football. I don't see this guy being able to throw athletically ever. He like I've seen him like be crossed up at his feet trying to throw athletically off, ske- off schedule. It's infuriating to me that this guy that had the, the whole game handed to him on a silver platter, just with an elite offense, elite play calling, elite offensive line, uh, literally, literally the Heisman winner, and another first-round player that might go top 10 right next to him. I just, I cannot stand the Mac Jones love to the point that people are, are, I don't think he's a first-round player. I don't want to spend a first-round pick on him. I don't believe on him, in him. I think everything else has to around, around him has to be perfect, because it was at Bama. So I just had to get it off my chest. 
Mac Ferguson. That's going to do it for the AP Laboratory. Thank you so much for listening. The next time you hear us will be a show where we get to kind of have a little release day celebration too for the KC Draft Guide. Gum.co slash KC Draft Guide 21. Promo code LAB. Thank you so much. Catch you later. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's a Friday edition closing out the week. I hope this finds you well, excited for a weekend, getting a little relaxation. Thank you all. Appreciate you for listening to this fine program. Got a lot to cover. And here to help me do it are my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane, I'm starting to see a little shadow of facial hair returning congratulations i'm i'm not far behind you i'm starting to get a little bit yeah and this is good because the mustache white goodman look was significantly better than the clean shaven look for me uh next time if i ever do a mustache thing i am definitely not shaving afterwards like which i 100 not doing so just letting it ride out like my good friend, Craig Stout, who is also joining us. He's just letting the mustache ride out till the beard catches back up. And I mean, this is why he's the smartest of us all, because he already knew this. Right, Craig? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I did. I was the one. Wait, wait, hold on. Kit, does that voice sound familiar to you? I could have swore. Like, that voice I, is just... It did, did I does, hear Matthew? it on it does. an official Kansas City Chiefs tweet video that went viral? Was that the voice that I heard coming out of the official Twitter of the Kansas City Chiefs? I think it sounds very similar to that. It also some somehow sounds like Brett Veach, too. So we have Brett Veach and the voice of the Chiefs on our podcast right now? I think we might. This is just, it's an honor. I, I don't know why we, I, I don't know why we're here, Matt, frankly. He's got to get new video clips for the team.